So we are kicking off a brand new series called Wait What? And we're going to be talking about some of the crazy stories in the Bible. Um, some of the se- stories that make you kind of go like, wait, what? <laughs> like this doesn't make any sense. So um, that's kind of what we'll be looking at. And hopefully the goal is to make sense of these stories. Now, I can't guarantee that we're going to do that, but we are going to attempt to make sense of some of the obscure stories in the Bible um, and then also not only make sense of them, but uh, find out how they apply to us. Because there's a reason. We believe that this whole Bible from, from Genesis to Revelation and all of the names and the numbers and the days and every single thing that's in here is inspired by God and in here on purpose. And so the stories that make us go like, what is going on? There's a reason for them, and it applies to our life today, 2019, whatever we find ourselves going through, there's, there, there's application for us in it. So our first story is going to be found in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, and it's known as the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel. And I've titled this message, um, if you take notes, you could call it I Empire. I Empire, little I, capital E-M-P-I-R-E. And if anybody knows anything about my uh, high school life, it's an album name that I was super into. But that's besides the point. I Empire, uh, Genesis chapter 11, um, beginning in verse 1. Again, the story is the Tower of Babel. We'll read it. We'll be confused by it, and then we'll hopefully make sense of it. It says this. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had bricks for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower who is, uh, whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of Benin built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. That's a powerful statement right there. God comes down, he looks at what they're doing, and he says, at this, point, at this point, there's nothing that they could not accomplish, in other words. He says, they, they come, they may not, uh, it says, um, that nothing that they propose to do will be held from them. And then God says, come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from uh, there over the face of all the earth, And they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now, I read that story and my response is like, honestly, it's what is going on? Because this is what happens. We're introduced to people, humanity, and we're told that they're all together and they all speak one language. So this is, at this point, it is right after uh, the great flood with Noah and the ark. I'm sure many of us know this story. Another strange story that we probably could have fit into the series, but we're not going to talk about that one. So God says, because of, because of the wickedness uh, in the world, that he was going to flood the entire world. Basically, God is hitting reset 
on planet earth. And this is the reason why. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That, that the only thing that humanity thought about was evil all the time. And God looks at, and the Bible talks about how God doesn't look like we see. God doesn't look at the appearance. God looks at the heart. And he looks at the heart of man and he says, it is only evil continually. And God's like, we've got a problem. Now, in the midst of this problem, in the midst of all of these people rebelling against God, rejecting God, and disobeying God, we've got one character by the name of Noah. We're told that he was righteous. That he did what was right in the eyes of God. So God chose him to basically be a part of the solution. That, that God was going to use Noah to ultimately save mankind after he destroys the wickedness that was in the world. But in the midst of that, God chose a, a, a righteous man named Noah that, would, that he would use to uh, uh, repopulate the world. Now, here in our story in Genesis 11, we have those descendants of Noah gathering together with a goal to build a tower to the heavens. That's the story. So we've got the, the, the flood has already happened. The, there's Noah. He's had these descendants. In fact, chapter 10 gives us in great detail the descendants of Noah. And then they're all coming together, speaking one language in this this area, it would be modern-day Iraq. It would be ancient Babylon, but this is pre-Babylon. Um, they come together there, and they decide that they're going to build a city, and they're going to build a tower that stretches to the heavens. Now, there they are. Seems like a noble idea, right? Like, they're all together. They're like, do you know what we should do? Like, this is a great time. We're all together. We're all having the same language. Like, life is great. Life is easy. Let's build a city. Right? Let's all live together in one big city. And like, that's a great idea. We all speak the same language. We all get along. Let's build a big city. So they start to build a city. And then some guy, in fact, his name was Nimrod, no joke. Um, you can read about him in chapter 10. But Nimrod hatches this plan. He's like, do you know what, you know what we should do? What would be great? We should build a tower in the midst of our city, and we should make it as tall as as the heavens. And they're like, that's a great idea. We've got bricks. Let's bake them thoroughly. We're going to build a tower. Like, this is what we're going to do. Then we're told they're, they're building their city. They're all speaking one language. I don't know what language it was. Probably not English, but they're all speaking one language. They're talking. They're doing their thing. They're building this tower. We don't know how far along they are, but they're building this tower. And then all of a sudden, God pops in. Right? We're told that God comes down and he wants to see what they're doing. So he shows up and he's like, oh no, we've got a problem. He's like, they're, they're building a tower. How, how dare they build a tower? And so then God, we're told, God confuses the people. That God is like, this cannot happen. Because the reason, we're told, is that whatever they wanted to do, they could accomplish. Like if they put their mind to it, they're able to do it. So do you know what we need to do? We need to make sure they can't do whatever they want to do. So God confuses the people by all of a sudden they like go to speak their language and all of a sudden they're speaking Chinese and they're like, that doesn't, that's not what I said a minute ago, was it? And all of a sudden their language is confused 
And what happens is the people connect with those that speak their same language. They understand one another. And then they're scattered abroad across the face of the whole earth. So the question I have when I read this story is like, why was God like ruining their party? You know what I mean? Like, we build cities. Like, God didn't show up and be like, what are you doing? What's happening? Like, in fact, God would set up his kingdom in a city called Jerusalem. Like, that was, like, his main hub of where everything happened. So, like, it seems like God's, like, against cities. What's happening? Why does God confuse the people? And another thing, some of you guys are Bible people and are like, I thought God wasn't the author of confusion. Like, you know, there's a Bible verse that says, like, God is not the author of confusion. And we hold on to that because we're like, if I'm confused or if I'm, if I'm seem misdirected or I'm not sure what's going on, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's not God confusing me. And then we read a story about God coming down and confusing people. Now, first off, the verse that says God is not the author of confusion, the context is it's speaking within the church. It's talking about the body of believers. And within the church, God is not the author of confusion. So that's what it's talking about there. But we have to realize the heart of humanity and what is actually happening in their attempt to build this city and this tower that stretches to the heavens. We have to understand their intent so that we can understand why God messed things up. And there are a few reasons and and, and why they chose to build the tower and why God chose to confuse their language so they couldn't. The first reason is their thought was that they had no need for God. No need for God. The tower wasn't like a skyscraper. It wasn't like they're like, you know what? Like, it would be really nice. Instead of like land, is, it's kind of expensive. We don't have that much of it. So instead of like building the city this way, like what if we built the city this way? Like, that wasn't their idea. Like, we could all just live in one big apartment complex, and it'll be great. It wasn't like a skyscraper. In fact, it was something known. This is a fun word. It was called a ziggurat. Ziggurat. Z-I-G-G-U-R-A-T. Ziggurat or ziggurat, however you want to say it, Um, which was basically a pyramid-type structure. It had steps going up, ultimately to a chamber at the top designed for worship of gods. So this was a common building that there, it was a pyramid type shape that would go up into a top chamber and at the top they would, they would have some type of worship towards different gods. And in fact, before God changed the meaning of Babel, they called this city or this tower Babel, which originally meant gateway of God. So when they called it Babel and they built this pyramid or this ziggurat type thing all the way up to the top where a god would sit or they would worship a god, and then they named it Gateway of God, their intention was to build a tower to God. Now, when it says that they, they were building a tower that stretches to the heavens, they didn't believe that at the top they would, like, step into heaven. They weren't thinking, like, do you know what, if... If we build it high enough, we might actually get to God. And they're like, let's do that. That, that wasn't, that, that, they're, not, they're not dumb, right? <laughs> they're not stupid thinking like, well, if we just build it big enough, then we'll be in heaven. Their, their idea basically was that they were, uh, uh, they were attempting to represent what they were thinking on the inside. They were building a tower to false gods as big as they could make it to say that they didn't need God. 
They're basically saying, like, ah, we got this. We don't need God around. We'll just build a tower, make our own God. This will be our gateway to God. And it all stemmed from a belief that they were better off without God. That they didn't need God in order to get to the heavens or in order to get to God. Now, the interesting thing about that is clearly they were capable of great things without God. Right? I mean, this is, they, they are accomplishing an incredible thing. They all get together. Like imagine, even with people that you speak the same language of, getting them all together in order to accomplish one goal is kind of difficult. It's hard. It's hard to get people to do what you want them to do. This guy Nimrod had it figured out. So, so they got all together, and, and they were able, they were capable of great things without God. And listen, people can accomplish incredible things without God. People can accomplish incredible things without God, whether it's in entertainment or music, whether it's in uh, uh, academics or invention whether it's in government or, or, or whether it's in athletics, whatever it is, people can accomplish. We look at humanity, and they are able to accomplish great things without God, right? People do amazing things without God, and some may even think they're better off without God. And in a sense, for them to build a big tower, they were better off without God, right? If their goal was to just build a big tower, they were doing it until God showed up. So they were better off without God because it's when God shows up, he creates confusion and disrupts their building. But in their invention, they were going in a direction away from God, thinking that they would be better off. But listen, God isn't thinking about what makes people better off. God is interested in making people better. And the problem here is that humanity was going in a direction. Sure, they're better off in the sense of like, look at all these great things we're accomplishing. Look at, we can, we can build a tower to the heavens. We can build a massive city. We can do whatever we want. There's nothing. What does God say? He says that nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. We, we are better off without God. But the problem is they're not getting any better. They're accomplishing great things, but they're still, at the end of the day, they're still in rebellion. They're going against the direction of God. They could have kept going on in their inventions and thinking that they didn't need God, getting better off, but not getting any better. Still wicked, still empty. And God interrupts them. God interrupts their building because he's saying what you're building and the direction that you're going, although you think you're better off, you are actually getting worse because you're getting farther and farther from the plans that I have. And listen, when we build our life and we go in a direction that is against God, no matter how successful we might find ourselves, no matter how much uh, uh, influence we have, no ma matter how much money we have, no matter whatever we have, if we find ourselves in a direction that is against God or away from God, we cannot be better. We, we can be, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I seems like it's better off. I seem like I'm, I'm happy. But if we're going in a direction away from God, we'll never get better. And although physically they can build a tower up without God in their life, spiritually and morally, they go down. 
And as much as we can accomplish without God, that makes us think we're better off. We will never be actually better or actually content or actually where God wants us to be without him. So the first reason God shows up and causes this confusion is because they were thinking we don't need God. And all of a sudden, when their, when their life gets disrupted, and all of a sudden what they thought mattered, and all of a sudden when they thought they were going to be able to accomplish these great things end and stop, what happens is they realize their need for God. I think one of the things that happens in life, and I'm not saying that God works like this all the time, but I do believe God oftentimes works like this, that when life gets hard and when life gets difficult and when life gets confusing, it shows us our need for God. When we just have everything going great, and like everything I do just works out perfectly, and my life is so easy, and I never have any conflict, and everybody loves me, and it's just like, it's great. What happens is we think like, I don't need anybody else. I don't need anything else. But then what happens is as you go through life, and all of a sudden something that you can't make sense of, all of a sudden something difficult happens in your life, or, or you're totally confused about the future, or the direction, or your life, or whatever it is, what happens is you go, I need God. And their problem was they thought they didn't need him. The second thing, their problem, is that they were attempting to make a name for themselves. Look again. uh, It says that they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, verse 4, and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. And listen, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So they come together really in fear. They're like, we don't want to be scattered, so let's, let's build this city. And as we build the city, as we build this tower, let's make a name for ourselves. In other words, they wanted to make themselves known, and they wanted to make themselves famous. Now, God, after the flood, back in the earlier chapters in Genesis, he sent people into the world to represent him and his faithfulness to them. So, so God, the, the flood ended. There, there was this group of people that were spared from this flood. They, they go out into the world, and God says, hey, go into the world and represent me. Now, all of a sudden, these people come together, and they're like, do you know what we should do? We should make ourselves super famous. Hey, do you know what we should do? Let's get together. We'll build this city. We'll build this tower, and everybody will know Nimrod's name. <laughs> like, everybody's going to know who we are and what we've done. And rather than going into the world and representing God, they go into the world attempting to represent themselves. Listen, in life, we we have two options, to live for our name or to live to bring glory to God's name. That's pretty much our option in life. We can live in everything we do to attempt to, to make ourselves more popular, to make our name bigger, to make ourselves feel better, or we can live to bring glory to God's name. We live in a culture that's all about self. In fact, your generation, the generation right now, it's called Generation Z. It's also called the I generation. Kind of like my message title with the little I and the big empire. Your generation is called the I generation. Little I, big generation. It came right after my generations with the millennials. Everybody likes to hate on the millennials. But then your guys' generation... It's literally the nickname for your generation is the I generation. Why? Because it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about my life. It's all about what I can do. It's all about me being popular. It's all about me be- being discovered. It's all about me making more money. It's all, uh, it's all, about, it's all about me. That's, that's the world that we live in. That's the world that you 
live in. And we will do whatever it takes to get popular or famous or to get our name known. And many people will spend their life trying to make a name for themselves. The problem, I think, is one, it's really difficult to do that. Like it, I mean, no offense to any of us in here, but it is difficult to get discovered. You know what I mean? Like Justin Bieber, like how he did it, it is, it's remarkable. Right? Like, he played a song on YouTube, Usher saw it, game over. Like, it's, honestly, it is difficult to do that. It's hard to get our name out there. It's it's really difficult. And then the other problem with trying to live for our name is even at our best, not everyone's going to know our name. Right? Like, there's this reality, like, no matter how many followers you have on Instagram, there's still probably more people in the world that don't follow you. Like, like, no matter how popular you get or how many views you, you get or, or how many dollars you get, there's somebody out there with more views, with more money. Well, you see what I'm saying? And so we spend our life attempting to reach these goals, but they're always just a little out of reach. And, and we, we attempt to, to try to make a name for ourselves, but the other option is to live for God's name. And we can do our part now to bring glory to God's name. We can recognize that everything that we have has come from God anyways, and so we want to use everything we have to point back to God. And listen, if you can use your platform and if you can use your influence to point people to God, I bet you God will give you more influence. I think what happens is we think that if I could have more influence, or if I could have, yeah, more influence, then I would use it for God's glory. Well, well, the question is, how are you using your influence now for God's glory? Are you building a name? Is your whole life attempting to build a name for yourself? Or are you using your life recognizing that I'm a part of God's story? It's not my story. I'm just a piece in the puzzle. So where do I fit in, God? What do you want me to do? So at the end of the day, you get the glory. You get more famous. It's not about me. It's about God. Because he's the only one that people actually need and the name that can actually make a difference in our lives and in our world. We can live for our name that fades or God's name that stands forever. These people, they wanted to make a name for themselves. The third thing, their third problem is that they had a neglect for God's promises. Neglect for God's promises. Now, I mentioned it, but after the flood, God gave a very clear instruction and promise to those people. Genesis 9, verse 1, it says it like this. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth. Now, that was God's commandment to them. God just, they were saved from the flood. He speaks to them. He says, okay, now from this point on, I want you to go have a ton of kids, and I want you to populate the whole world. Now, we're told in our story that they all gather in one place. So direct disobedience to what God had said to do, right? God said, go fill the whole earth. And where are they? One place. It's like, that's not really what I said to do. There's another story in the New Testament, the book of Acts, where God, after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into heaven, he said to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit, the power of God, is poured out onto the Christian's life. And then he says, once you receive that power, once the Spirit of God comes on your life, he says, I want you to go out and tell everybody about who Jesus is and what he's done. He says, I want you to go to Judea, to Samaria, and then he says, to the uttermost part of the world. 
to, to the far corners of the earth, I want you to bring the gospel. You fast forward, and, and you've got the apostles all hanging out in Jerusalem. Now, God's doing a crazy work in Jerusalem. Thousands of people are getting saved, but they're all hanging out in Jerusalem. So then all of a sudden, God raises up a guy. His name's Saul. And Saul begins to persecute the church of Christ in Jerusalem. God raises up this guy, Saul. He begins to persecute the church uh, in Jerusalem. And what happens? People start to scatter. All of a sudden, guys are like, I'm getting out of Jerusalem because if we stay in Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And they head on over to Samaria. And while they're in Samaria, they start telling people about Jesus and they get saved. And then they tell the people in Jerusalem, like, hey, I left Jerusalem and I told people in Samaria about Jesus and they got saved. And they're like, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> like, that's what God told us to do. Oh, man, we blew it. And then they go out and they begin to spread the gospel. Here they are. They're told in, in Genesis 9, hey, go into all the world. I want you to scatter across the whole earth and represent me everywhere you go. And they're in one place. So they're, they're ignoring, they're ignoring what God had said to do, the instruction of God. The other thing, if you notice, they, the way that they designed their tower was very similar materials to what Noah used to design the boat. And, and a few commentary commentaries I read suggest that they were building their tower waterproof. No doubt to be sort of their flood insurance. Like, you know, your house has flood insurance. All of our houses have hurricane insurance because we get hurricanes. And in case something happens, like your roof gets covered, ripped off, which happens, um, your hurricane insurance, to an extent, will help pay for your roof. This was there as they built this tower. This was their flood insurance. Why? Well, what if another flood happens? Like, we're building all this tower. What if a flood happens? We'd lose our tower. Well, the reason this is significant was because God spoke very clearly that he'd never flood the earth again. Well, listen to this, Genesis 9, verse 11. God says, Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Pretty explicit, pretty clear. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature, creature that is with you for uh, perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. God said, as clear as day, it, it's not going to happen again. I'm not going to flood the earth again. And here they are. They're like, well, just in case. Like, just in case God was like, had my fingers crossed. Like, just in case God's like, psych! Do people still say psych? Yeah. They definitely should still say psych. But God's not like up there like, don't worry, I'll never flood the earth again. Psych! And they're like, well, we just got to be careful just, just in case. No, what this was was them unwilling to trust the promises of God. God promised something, and yet their actions show that they did not believe the promises of God. Because if you believe the promises of God, even in your rebellion, even in your disobedience, if you believe that God wouldn't flood the earth again, you wouldn't go into such detail to make sure that your tower was waterproof. So they acted contrary to the promises. And when we neglect the promises of God, we will inevitably act in contradiction to his promises. If God has said, hey, this is, how I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to bless. This is what I have favor towards. This is what I think you should stay away from. And we act in contradiction to those things. 
Don't be surprised when we find ourselves not operating in the blessing and the promises of God. But when we believe the promises of God, it motivates us to live in the way that God calls us. So their problem, their problem, the reason God was like, we gotta, we gotta mess it up. The reason we've got to is because they're out here thinking that they have no need for God. They're out here thinking that if they make a name for themselves, they'll be happy, they'll be content, they'll have everything that they've ever wanted. And if they, they are out here neglecting the promise of God and missing out on what God has for them. Worship team, you guys can come up here as I close. The goal for these people really was to build their own way to God so that they could live however they wanted and be better off without him. Now, first off, that's never going to happen. Notice that their highest achievement, God still looked down at. The story is remarkable. Here they are. They're like, we are going to build a tower to the heavens. Like, it is going to be so impressive. Like, people are going to be like, whoa, that's a big tower. We're going to build a tower to the heavens. And God's like, what? what's going on down there? Like, all, everybody on the earth is like, this thing is massive. Look at this thing that we've accomplished. Look at how great we are. Look how incredible we are. Look at what we're capable of doing. God's like, is there, is there something going on down there? He's like, let's go, ah, let's go check it out. And we're told that God comes down to look at what they're accomplishing. But what I'm trying to say is that our best accomplishments are still below the feet of God. That even, even the best thing that we could come up with, even, even if it's like, look at what I've done, when it's a, without God, God's like, yeah, that's, that's, I guess that's kind of cute. It's like, I guess it's pretty high. I mean, I'm way up here in heaven, and like I had a heavenly calling for you, and I had something way bigger. But yeah, your cute little tower is nice. And so often we, we build our life on these things, thinking that we're going to accomplish these great things without God, to re, only to realize like, God had so much more in store for us. Like you, we built this little tower and God's like, oh man, I had, <laughs> that's nice, but I had, I had bigger for you. So even on our best day, we're beneath the feet of God. Secondly, we need to understand, fast forward to where we are today, we need to understand that there is no need for us to attempt to reach up to God because God came down to us. We, we can never climb up our, our way to God or do enough good things to earn the favor of God. There, there's nothing that we could ever do that could cause us to work our way up to God. And so God said, do you know what? I'll come down to you. God's like, you, you can try, you can, you can attempt to, but even on your best day, no matter how hard you try, no matter how high you think you get, you're still beneath my feet. And God said, okay, do you know what? I'm going to send my son to you. He's going to be born just like you are. He's going to live and deal with the things just like you have to deal with. But he's going to be perfect. And he's going to go to the cross and he's going to, be our, uh, he, he's going to pay the punishment. He's going to pay the price that we owed so that if we just place faith in him, we could have right standing with God. And, and this recognition that no matter what we do or what we attempt to do, we could never earn the favor of God. And so God brought his favor to us. We could never work our way up to God, so God came down to us. 
We've got to recognize that in order for us to experience the fullness of what God has for us, we need to receive what God has sent for us. And because of that, we should live dependent upon God. We, we, can't, we, we, don't want to realize, we don't want to think that we don't need God. We should live for his glory, and we should live trusting in his promises.